All right, before we get into today's show, great show, very much uh, looking forward to sharing it with you all. Um, had one of those moments uh, today where, uh, as I was finishing recording the opening and uh, first half of the podcast, breaking news came in, that kind of shit all over it. Um, that news being that Lamar Jackson uh, had the non-exclusive franchise tag placed on him by the Baltimore Ravens, meaning he can go negotiate his own deal with other teams uh, and the Ravens have the right to match it. Uh, And if they decide not to, then the team that is matching said deal uh, or the team that is giving him the deal that he's going to sign with then has to give him two first round picks, uh, give the Ravens two first round picks. So I get into a bunch of different stuff in this and the, and the football stuff. It's not all about Lamar and the quarterback situation, but uh, we do touch on it. Uh, especially um, a, a few different times throughout the podcast here. So just wanted everyone to know that I did see the news uh, and it broke approximately 90 seconds after I finished recording the first half of the pod. So with that, enjoy, sit back, relax, or drive, or don't if you're driving, I don't know, uh, and uh, enjoy the episode. option back after a uh, short little week off uh i know the last time we talked i said we talked to you next week and then we didn't talk to you next week and that's on me i uh you know the football season takes a lot out of you uh the last couple weeks have been a little hectic uh outside of the pod for myself and for scotty and for Vito. um the boys still taking some time off you have just me with you today um, but an exciting podcast. We're excited to be back. I'm hoping the boys will join me on at least one of them will join me on Friday's show. Uh, so we got some good stuff coming in for you. Want to talk a little bit before we get in kind of about how we're going to structure the pod here. Uh, we're probably going to do things a little different than we've done in uh, off seasons past. Um, there, there probably will be some days we're not around. Um, there'll be a couple of weeks where we might only have one pod come out Um you know, things have been things have been busy and there's been a lot of stuff moving around behind the scenes. Uh, good things for the pod, but also just busy, you know, life things that uh, get in the way. So we're still committed. I'm still committed to trying to get you guys two pods a week. Uh, and obviously we'll communicate when, when we don't have one. Um, but kind of took the last week to reflect, um, kind of take a breather, assess kind of where we are, what we want to start to kind of attack in terms of content here on the pod where we want to go with it uh hoping for a lot more guests we're probably going to do some you know more sports gumbos on those uh tuesday pods and then thursday friday pods we'll hopefully have some guests joining us uh you know the the denton dave interview we had the last podcast was fantastic and definitely want to start doing more of that um and and i'm excited about it we also you know obviously for us this time of year has been a lot of NBA. Uh, it's a lot of March Madness coming up. You know, us, particularly me and Scotty, we always love talking about golf. So uh, I think right now it's going to be a lot of, hey, what's hot? Like what's going on right now? What What's in the queue? Um, we'll have a baseball preview pod out at some point as well. Um, but I, I think the one things we can tell you, want to try to get you guys 
some more betting picks, uh, NBA. We're going to talk a lot of golf betting. We're going to talk about the Players' Championship today. Uh, also have some thoughts that we're going to get into later in the pod about uh, the Players' Championship, Live. I uh, want to talk about the Full Swing documentary series that was came out. We talked about that when it was first announced on this podcast, how excited we were. Uh, and now here we are a year later, it came out. I, I watched it. I loved it. It was a ton of fun. Um, and, and just some interesting kind of ways that it's kind of sculpting the golf world. So I, I think we're going to hit a good amount of golf here come this spring. Obviously, the majors we always hit, but things like the Players' Championship that are really big events, right? We didn't get a chance to talk about the Arnold Palmer, um, but we the, the PGA is running out these these new events that, you know, our, our higher guaranteed money. And uh, there was an interesting announcement uh, coming up that, that we'll, we'll hit on here either today or tomorrow um, or sorry, today or Friday's pod about the plan for 2024 on the PGA tour, which I think is a really interesting uh, conversation. And uh, I'm excited to, to hopefully have Scotty on so I can kind of have someone to go back and forth with on it. But today we're going to eat your picks for the players championship, full swing talk. We're going to hit, some uh some of the outfall of you know live um and how their start to that's that league season has gone and, and kind of where we stand especially after getting to watch um you know full swing i feel like it confirmed a lot of what people thought so i'm excited to get into that but the first part of today's pod and the main chunk of it and scotty and i were going to do this pod uh or this topic last week and then some scheduling things got in the way we weren't able to do it uh but i want to talk about about some offseason predictions in the NFL. And to me, the storylines, right, where things are going to go, this is where so many changes in the NFL happen, right? This is where the little moves and the little adjustments uh, end up playing huge differences and, and make huge impacts on the NFL divisional, right? the, the, the divisional round and, and the playoffs, right, and the championship games and clutch games down the season. And sometimes, you know, it can completely teams can, can completely whiff. Um, and, and there's also some stuff in terms of structuring, right? Uh, I did a pod a couple weeks ago about Daniel Jones and, and Lamar and Derek Carr. We found out yesterday, Derek Carr signing with the New Orleans saints. Um, so that is one prediction storyline. That's kind of off the table. Uh, I'll, I'll give my two cents on it right now. I think it's fine. I think it's a fine move. I think when you look at the way the NFC South is situated, um, I think it makes sense for the Saints, who have a lot of older talent. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, but they're definitely the favorite to win that division now. Uh, when you look at the quarterbacks who are who are signed under contract, I mean, we're looking at starters in the NFC being Sam Darnold, or maybe Matt Corral gets a shot, you know, the third round draft pick out of Ole Miss from last year, a guy I loved coming out of the draft, uh, just some, some of his traits and his ability to just sling the ball. I'd love to see him get a shot, uh, but there'll be a chance. He had a, um, I think it was Liz Frank injury. He had in his foot and missed basically the entire season. So we didn't get really, we never got a chance to see what Matt Corral looked like uh, in, in a Panthers uniform. So that'll be an interesting um, development, at least in Carolina, Tampa Bay, no Tom Brady, um, they're down to one quarterback on their roster, and it's Kyle Trask. And look, Kyle Trask was a fine college quarterback. Uh, you know, the year he had at Florida, uh, where they they got to the SEC championship game, I believe, and then got absolutely bodied by Alabama. Um, he's fine. You know, I, I could he could he be decent? Could he have a Kirk Cousins type of career? 
you know, guy drafted a little bit later, maybe like a Derek Carr had no real expectations had a couple of years to develop and comes in with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Maybe, you know, maybe um, no Byron Leftwich there anymore, who many thought would be a potential head coaching candidate uh, in the future. He instead is now out of a job. So not really sure what that's going to look like um, for Tampa Bay. And then you look at the Falcons, they drafted Desmond Ritter in the third round. Um, he looked pretty, he looked better, more competent by the end of the season. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the market for a quarterback. And, and we'll get to that with some of these predictions as well. Um, you know, I think the top of the draft this year is going to be really interesting with quarterbacks. Uh, and, and that'll be one of our predictions here coming down the line. But essentially, Derek Carr makes the Saints the easy, easy favorite, right? Uh, Michael Thomas out here tweeting about, you know, Derek Carr coming to, to New Orleans. I, Michael Thomas has been irrelevant for, for three years. You know, he may still think that he's the guy who broke the receptions record and, and had this all pro type season. The fact of the matter is he's just not. So maybe he stays healthy and has a better quarterback. And who knows, maybe he has some sort of bounce back or at least semi-productive season if he can stay on the field. But the big one there is obviously Chris Olave, who you have this stud wide rookie wide receiver who's playing with Jameis Winston and then Andy Dalton and then Taysom Hill and just a whole bunch of nothing really and yet still was incredibly impressive as a rookie uh his body control i i think he's going to be one of those sleeper and i can't even say sleeper now because Derek Carr is going to be there but he's going to be one of those fantasy guys where he's going to get a ton of targets um defensively you know first year under dennis allen the saints were really mediocre for the majority of the season and then for the last like seven or eight games turned it on i, I was impressed pressed especially watching the eagles and granted it wasn't jalen hurts it was gardner Minshew. but watching the eagles go up against them late in the season uh the saints win that game uh, somewhat surprisingly in what was probably the worst game of the year for this this eagles team and the defense looked good they were able to get after the the quarterback they're pretty good and still good in the linebacker room still have a really good secondary um, Tyron Matthew, obviously, you know, that addition last year kind of felt underwhelming only because the Saints as a whole kind of felt underwhelming, but they still would have had the 10th overall pick. So it's not like we're talking about some team that was like right on the cusp or is a Derek Carr away because truth be told, I don't think any team is a Derek Carr away from winning a Super Bowl because I don't think Derek Carr is good enough to win you a Super Bowl. I think Derek Carr is good enough to get you into the playoffs, to win a weak division, maybe win a game in the postseason. Uh, and probably put up some really impressive numbers that is going to garner the three-year, $100 million contract that he got. It's going to be interesting. That's Ultimately, that that's kind of where we're sitting there. We're in this interesting little bubble. Um, and I know that feels like I say that all the time when we're talking about the future with some of these you know, quarterbacks, but I don't know. Like I, To me, Derek Carr is not getting you over the edge. Derek Carr is not setting you up to be you know some – He's not a franchise-altering player in terms of exceedingly growing your ceiling as a team. But what he will do is he will win you more football games than you won this year. He will help the development of your young wide receiver. And, I mean, the, the Alvin Kamara video came out, and my God, that did not look good in some of this, the more information we're learning about that. I don't expect to see Alvin Kamara playing on an NFL uniform this year, but – Hey, I've been wrong on that stuff before. So Derek Carr, 
first of the QB dominoes to go. I found it interesting and, and honestly props to Derek Carr for being like, hey, fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. I'm not waiting for you. Like, I'm going to go find a spot that I like that's going to get me money that I think I deserve that's going to give me a chance to win more football games. And, you know, if I'm if I am the New York Jets and I'm as was reported today that Rodgers and the Packers and the Jets have all been talking about Aaron Rodgers potentially being moved to New York. If I'm New York, I don't know. I think I'd rather have Derek Carr on a cheap contract. I mean, I get it. Like with the amount of talent that the Jets have, you can aff- and how how young it is, right? Their their cap space situation is flexible enough that you can take on the cap money that's going to come with Aaron Rodgers, but it's also coming with much more of a headache. And maybe you feel more confident that Rodgers will be able to handle that better, that media and the pressure and all that stuff better than Derek Carr. Maybe they think like I do that Derek Carr is not going to be enough to get you over Super Bowl, but I think I would still rather pay Derek Carr on a three-year contract, at, at, you know, for a hundred million dollars. I don't think the actual terms have come out on the Derek Carr deal, but I think I would rather have Derek Carr in a short-term deal than gamble with Aaron Rodgers because if if the Rodgers thing doesn't work out, then you're setting your franchise back, and next thing you know, Quentin Williams is going to pop up and you're going to have to pay him. But oh yeah, wait, you owe Aaron Rodgers fifty-five million dollars next year. Um, that would be my concern. But at the same time, if you feel like the roster is good enough and you feel like you have the talent to go out and do it, then you have to do it. And in the AFC, you're going up against Burrow and Herbert and Mahomes. And it's probably true to say that, yeah, giving that contract to Aaron Rodgers or at least trading the assets or whatever and taking on that contract, you're going to have a better chance with Aaron Rodgers to take those guys down than Derek Carr. But I still am not sure if I would do that. We'll get to more of that up in a little bit, but Derek Carr is the first domino to move. Um, and good for him, man. He found a good spot and I think it's going to work out for him. I think it's going to be a spot that, that they're going to be competitive, right? Like, and in the NFC, the NFC feels so weak, especially that division feels weak, but the whole NFC feels weak. Um, Dallas is going to lose some pieces this year. Philly obviously is losing a ton of free agents. Now they have young pieces and they have the two first round draft picks and we know that how he's going to be creative with the free agency stuff and the cap numbers so i expect philly to still be able to add some pieces even though they're going to lose james bradbury and some other ones and, and probably miles sanders as well I, I still think the eagles are going to be the team to beat in the nfc next year but dallas is probably going to take a little step back the giants we're going to see how that all plays out with daniel jones but i think for the most part we're probably going to see more of the same um uh, wow. And as we're sitting here recording breaking news, um, Woody, uh, sorry, Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, has flown to California to meet with Aaron Rodgers in person. So I might end up having to re record this, and maybe you will never end up hearing this uh, if no more news ends up popping out. But um, I'll tell you what, that is pretty um, telling, I would say. That's probably very telling if. Woody Johnson, the owners and officials are flying out to see Aaron Rodgers right now. My guess is they're going to be talking about restructuring his deal, maybe adding years onto the end of it, doing things to potentially just sell him on why the Jets are going to be the best team for him. Um, But yeah, I think that deal might end up getting done sooner rather than later. The Saints, they're in a good spot in terms of competitiveness. You look around the rest of the NFC. the, the, The Saints with Derek Carr, versus the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. 
probably not that much of a difference in terms of roster talent. Um, and we saw how many games that the Vikings won. They'll probably be a surprise team. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with San Francisco. It's going to be Trey Lance might be Brock Purdy, you know, so it's hard to say what's going to happen with San Francisco. Um, Geno Smith gets a three year, hundred million dollar extension from Seattle, uh, which kind of tells you, Hey, this is the short term plan for them. I also think Seattle might be in the market for a quarterback that needs to be developed. Like someone like say Anthony Richardson, who could sit there and learn from a couple years for a couple of years underneath, um, you know, Geno Smith, but the, 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 the Seahawks seem to have kind of identity and a plan moving forward. They also have two first round picks this year. So, oh, sorry, no, actually they only have one because they traded away their first round pick in that ridiculous uh, Jamal Adams trade. So, Basically, if you're the Saints, you're taking this gamble thinking there's not going to be anyone else in the NFC that really scares you other than Philly and probably Dallas. And at the very least, Derek Carr is probably going to get you a seat at the table, right? Derek Carr is going to get you there in front of these other teams. And then you get 60 minutes, four quarters, you never know what's going to happen, right? And, and crazy things happen. I, again, I don't think it's enough to win you Super Bowl. I don't definitely don't think it's enough to win you Super Bowl. I don't think it's enough to probably even get you to a Super Bowl, but it does get you a seat at the table. And ultimately, you got to give credit to organizations for saying, hey, you know what? We want to be competitive. We want to go and get the best players we can within our realm and with our roster to go out there and give us a chance to win on Sunday. And then hopefully, you know, one day they get there. I think from a front office standpoint, these are the kinds of kinds of decisions that might give you a shorter leash. Uh, same thing with head coaches. If Dennis Allen doesn't end up having another good year after they go out and make this trade for Derek Carr. Um, but the good news is like, they'll be able to get off that contract easily. Right. Same thing with Seattle. If the Geno Smith thing doesn't end up working year number two, you're always going to be able to, to, to find ways to get out of a contact contract that that's that short. Um, but Geno was really good last year and Derek Carr had a down year in that Josh McDaniels offense, but was also only a year removed for throwing for over 4,000 yards. So we've seen Derek Carr put up a lot of numbers in the NFL. Um, in, a, in some ways it feels like he's kind of in that like Matt Stafford world where like Matt Stafford had insane numbers for so long. And it was like, is this guy even any good? Cause he was just playing for such a bad team in Detroit. And of course, I think Matt Stafford is way better than Derek Carr was and, and could carry that team to wins. But for Derek Carr, I think this is a move where you, you're going to give yourself a chance in a new city and, you know, a new organization, an organization that for the most part is very well respected. And I think it's going to work out for them. So uh, that's the first kind of big news. And then we kind of talked about some of the other ones, the rest of it. Look, we haven't heard a whole lot of buzz yet. We still haven't gotten to uh, the official start of free agency. So we're still kind of in this, you know, where are the pieces moving? Obviously there's a couple of top storylines that we will get to, but I have my top five NFL off season predictions. And, and, and it's not just for this year. These are impact. Uh, what I'm, the phrasing is impactful predictions, right? These are things that will affect the NFL in significant ways. Right. And, and, for longer than just this offseason, for just this year. And we'll start with number five, because some of them are just for this year, we'll say that. But uh, number five, Josh Jacobs and Lamar Jackson hold out on their franchise tags. Now, Josh Jacobs has already been informed 
that the Raiders are going to franchise tag him. Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing this year. He put on an absolute career year under the assumption that he was going to get paid. And we know, and we've talked about it at nauseum on this podcast, that running backs don't get paid. They, they do. It just doesn't happen anymore. And that's kind of the interesting thing that's going to happen with New York. Is New York going to be willing to pay Saquon Barkley, a guy who with their roster with Daniel Jones is incredibly important. But in the games that he missed this year and when he was banged up towards the end of the season, he wasn't the same player. And that's the unfortunate truth of having these bell cow running backs. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. Derrick Henry, right? Christian McCaffrey, guys who deserve that. But even McCaffrey and even Derrick Henry have both had significant injury issues. And you're going to handicap the rest of your roster to pay a guy who is objectively special and game changing, but may not be able to be on the field. Now, the question is, is Josh Jacobs one of those guys? And to me, the answer is no. But if you ask Josh Jacobs that question, the answer is yes. And I think undoubtedly, if the Raiders try to franchise tag him, he's going to try to hold out. I don't know if he's going to go Le'Veon Bell style. I don't know if he's going to wait until training camp like we saw Jesse Bates do last year. But ultimately, I don't think Josh Jacobs takes the franchise tag. It's only $10.6 million, which I understand to a lot of people, look, that's a lot of money, right? But it's for one year. And we also know that the, the, the life cycle of running backs in the NFL is short to begin with, whereas if he could actually be a free agent somewhere, he could probably get a three-year, maybe $40 million deal where $25 million of that dollars or $25 million of that $40 million is fully guaranteed. And to a running back like that, that number is significantly more important, that guaranteed number for multiple years, Rather than the, hey, I'm going to do the one-year franchise tag and take my $10 million. I'm going to go out and prove it again. Because if he wants to do that and come back, the Raiders can franchise tag him again. And part of what makes this decision so weird is that there's no real clear answer as who's going to be playing quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders next year. I mean, Jared Stidham came in and played well, and we know the history between him and Josh McDaniels, which is really interesting in how Josh McDaniels last couple of years in New England, he when they drafted Jared Stidham, he really wanted Jared Stidham to get shine, but then they brought in Cam Newton, and Cam Newton kind of took over, and then Cam Newton was, you know, they bring in him, you're not going to have Cam Newton sit on the bench. And so Josh McDaniels was kind of handicapped at that point, right? He wanted... Jarrett Stidham in over Cam Newton. The Patriots weren't going to start Jarrett Stidham over Cam Newton because you're paying Cam Newton to come in and be your starting quarterback. That then led to when Josh McDaniels got the head coaching job and with the Raiders, he brought and traded for Jarrett Stidham to come be there. And then when Derek Carr inevitably got benched, Jarrett Stidham played well. It's an offense that he knows. So I would be surprised if Jarrett Stidham was the opening day starter. Um, and uh, let me rephrase. I'd be surprised if Jarrett Stidham was the opening day starter and there wasn't a first round quarterback underneath it. I think the Raiders are absolutely a team that is in a spot where they might trade up to try to get one of these top four quarterbacks. Uh, and they're going to have to pay a hefty price for that. But if Mark Davis wants to have, you know, the next guy in Las Vegas, you know, there's still only what two years in, to being in Las Vegas, they don't have a, a marquee guy. They go out and got Devontae Adams. You got him locked up long-term. I kind of think the idea of going and getting a rookie, 
quarterback makes sense because you already have that elite wide receiver there to make his life easier. And then maybe that's why you're going to be willing to franchise tag Josh Jacobs, because if you do that, then you have a solid running back with a really good wide receiver behind a not so great offensive line, which you would hope that they would add towards in this off season. And then you have a rookie quarterback in there who at least has help as he's learning the NFL game. Again, I don't know which quarterback that would inevitably be, but I do get the sense that that is part of the plan for the Raiders, which is that if at least you franchise tag a guy like Josh Jacobs, which again, I don't know if I would do, I think you can find that production for significant less cap hit, but $10 million is it's a hefty price, but it's also only one year. So I guess the long and the short of it is, and the reason this is one of those that I do think actually has some sort of longer term effect down the line is that if you're franchise tagging Josh Jacobs and you already have Devontae Adams on your roster, there's a strong chance that you're looking to get a young quarterback and it might be Jarrett Stidham. That guy might already be on the roster, but you're looking for ways to aid a young quarterback who is still developing Lamar rejecting the franchise tag is because there have been multiple reports now ownership and, and leadership within the Ravens has visited Miami recently to have conversations with Lamar still feels like they're in the same spot that they were this time a year ago. He's going to get the tag put on and Lamar's going to say no. Now where this gets interesting is if they tag him and then try to trade him. And that brings in all of these deals or all of these extra rules and, and stuff that's set up in the CBA that essentially he could sign the franchise tag or the Ravens could put the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, which would allow other teams to go out and make an offer to Lamar, while at the same time, the Ravens would have the opportunity to match it if they wanted to. I think it's more likely that they work out some sort of a sign-in trade with the franchise tag, right? Where you're going to put the non-exclusive tag on him, you'll agree to a deal in principle, and then ultimately trade him out. Um, but I don't foresee Lamar Jackson playing this year if he's on a franchise tag. If he's on the exclusive franchise tag, meaning he cannot play for anyone else other than the Baltimore Ravens, I don't think Lamar Jackson plays this year. I think Lamar is kind of crazy enough, and I say that in a good way, just based off the energy and the kind of way he's always been, but I think Lamar's kind of crazy enough to say, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to sit this year out. Now, look, if he gets the franchise tag, I think it's like $37 million or something. It's a really high number. But I still don't think Lamar does it for just one season. I think Lamar knows his worth. I think the fact that he doesn't have any sort of representation makes this whole thing that much crazier. But I still, I still think that Lamar will ultimately refuse the franchise tag and if he refuses the franchise tag i don't have to explain to you why that affects the league down the line because if this leads toward a, towards a levy on bell type situation and he holds out for half the season or the entire season we're going to be sitting here a year from now kind of going through this whole thing or even if he does play the future of lamar jackson is still completely uncertain and that's a big domino to potentially fall and i don't think lamar is backing down from that in any uh, form or fashion. Uh, all right, that's the first prediction. Second prediction, two 
of these three wide receivers will be moved in one way or another, via trade or via release. DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Ayuk, or Michael Pittman. D-Hop is a pretty obvious one. The cap hit's huge. Um, Because of his suspension, it waived his no-trade clause, which he had in his contract, so now he can be moved anywhere he wants, or anywhere that Arizona wants. Uh, And ultimately, without Kyler Murray this year, what's the point of your Arizona? You have a new head coach. You have a new front office. Um, D-Hop, when he's played, has still been really productive. And you'll probably get a draft pick or two, right? Um, I guess probably like a second or a third. But the main reason that even I'm even bringing up these wide receivers getting traded is because it's a copycat league, right? And teams are going to look at what happened with A.J. Brown and Philly. Young quarterback, still developing. We got to put talent around him. Part of the same logic I used for, you know, the Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, everything going on in Vegas. Well, I think they will be in the market for a young quarterback or will roll with Jarrett Statham. You need to put really talented A-list top-tier wide receivers around young quarterbacks. And teams saw what Philly did, right? And they're going to say, we got to do that around our quarterback. We have a young rookie quarterback or a second-year quarterback, right? We saw Jacksonville do it halfway through the season going out and trading for Calvin Ridley, who got reinstated yesterday. That is a pretty telltale sign that, like, the NFL saw what happened. The best thing you can do for a developing quarterback is get a really, really good wide receiver. And all of these guys, D-Hop already signed a big contract, probably on the back nine of his career, but still can be really, really useful. DeAndre Hopkins in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. There, boom. Like that would be so helpful just to have a constant, consistent wide receiver that Lamar can throw to that's not Devin Duvernay would be a huge addition for Baltimore. And there are teams like that across the board. Tua, right? Tua had a monster season, not just because of Jalen Waddell, but because they go out and get Tyreek Hill. You put talent around these guys and good things happen. And you're not going to get lucky like what happened in Cincinnati where you draft Joe Burrow and T Higgins at the end of the first round at the beginning of the second round and then go out in the next year, you get Jamar Chase too. That doesn't happen. All right. It's kind of the same idea as like in the NBA, like the process or like what's happening in Oklahoma city. You're going to develop all, you're going to get all these really young good guys who all kind of grow up together. You need to bring in veterans. You need to bring in guys who are going to help develop them as talent, you know, develop them as players. And like what I love what Oklahoma city is doing right now uh, in, in the NBA is that like they traded for Shea Gildas Alexander, who's going to be four or five years older than Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy and whoever they get in the draft this year and all these young pieces that they put around it. And now you're going to have an established star with these younger guys, and then you're all going to kind of grow up together, but at least you have someone who's been there, done that, like done a bunch of things. Obviously, SGA hasn't played in the postseason. There's a bunch of things he hasn't had a chance to be able to do, but you get the point. I look at what I see here with a team's like what happened with Miami, what happened in Philly, and the jump that those quarterbacks made in production. Now, there's still questions about Tua Tagovailoa. There's plenty of questions, 
But what happened with Cincinnati is not going to happen for many teams because Jamar Chase is just that good, right? Jamar Chase is the is the anomaly of the rookie wide receiver who comes in and then is elite. Like Garrett Wilson was a stud this year. Garrett Wilson's not elite, all right? Could Would Garrett Wilson have been better if he wasn't playing with Zach Wilson for half the season? Of course, right? And then Christian Watson, really, really good. But he was terrible for the first half of the season. Now he's going to be one of those really valuable young wide receivers. Bringing in an established veteran who you're probably going to have to pay will be worth it when you have a quarterback on their rookie deal who is still developing. So DeAndre Hopkins can be valuable to tons of teams with young quarterbacks. All right. I look at uh, Brandon Ayuk. Now he's still, because he was a first round draft pick, he has technically two years before he would be a free agent or could potentially be franchise tagged. But this is around the time when players, especially Ayuk, who's coming off of a monster, his first like true breakout season. I don't think he's going to want out. I think he's probably the least likely to get traded out of all of these guys. But if he gets the fifth year extension, that cap number goes up a bunch in that fifth year. So now he's getting a gradually more expensive after this upcoming season. And then before you go in, he's going to look at across the field and see what Debo did. And Debo held out, right? Threatened to hold out, said, hey, I'm not playing. I'm not playing until I get my contract. Brandon Ayuk is going to look at what Debo Samuel did and say, hey, I got to do the same thing this time a year from now. He doesn't quite have the leverage to do it this year, but that paycheck is coming. And again, you look at Kyle Shanahan, who has gotten such high-level production out of all sorts of players. You have McCaffrey on an expensive deal. You have Debo on an expensive deal. Yeah, you're getting Jimmy Garoppolo off the books this year, but then you still have this weird Brock Purdy versus uh, Trey Lance situation going on. You have no idea who's going to be playing quarterback for you. You have Fred Warner on a big deal. You have all these guys. Um, there's there's tons of guys. Uh, Kinlaw, for them, is going to be coming up on another deal. There's a ton of talent on that San Francisco team, and they're all going to have to get paid. And Brandon Ayuk, though it's not likely he gets traded this year, I think is a potential wide receiver to get moved the last one michael Pittman jr now again it seems as though indianapolis is going to probably trade up and take either bryce young or cj stroud or anthony richardson or one of these quarterbacks because again we don't really know who's playing quarterback for the indianapolis colts right now i think right now it's matt ryan and sam ellinger i don't know what's going to happen with matt ryan he's probably likely to get moved off of or retire or do something but there's a very good chance they're going to draft a quarterback near the top of the draft this year, right? Michael Pittman is an established player at this point and has had back-to-back good seasons with Carson Wentz, Sam Ellinger, and Matt Ryan as his quarterback. But he, because he wasn't a first-round draft pick, does not have that fifth-year or that fifth-year uh, extension that they can put on him, which means after this season, he's going to need to get paid. And again, the year before is typically when these guys who've been really productive and their agents start pushing for these long-term deals. If I'm the Colts, I wouldn't trade them. I would probably hold on to them because if you are going to get a rookie quarterback, you'd rather have a guy like Michael Pittman there. But just based off of how these conversations tend to go, I think it makes more sense that a guy like Pittman gets traded than, you know, say like a Cooper Cup, right? Who 
who knows what's going to happen with the Rams this year. If Sean McVay left the Rams, I would have said Cooper Cup is good as gone. But I also think the Rams are going to be looking at a situation where maybe Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. I, I mean, I don't think they would trade Aaron Donald. I think they definitely could trade Jalen Ramsey. Um, yeah, not likely. I mean, some of these are kind of bolder predictions, but I think one, maybe even two of these guys in that group end up getting traded. I think D-Hop's the most likely. Um, and I think D-Hop could end up being a really good addition for a team. Um, just to have a veteran presence, a guy who was really still good and didn't have to take much of a beating last year because he missed the first six games. Um, number three. And this is going to seem like low-hanging fruit or maybe like the easy one because um, it's kind of similar to when people say like, oh, so-and-so will never win a championship because most, like 80% or I think it's higher than, I think it's like 90% of players in like all professional sports never actually get a chance to win a championship. But I don't think any of the quarterbacks are going to, from this year's class that are going to get drafted in the first round are going to pan out. But I do think that four of them will get drafted in the top 10. I love Bryce Young. I love Bryce Young. The size thing is so scary. And I know with the combine, and here's your yearly combine reminder, the combine's the stupidest thing we have in sports. It does not matter. Do not pay attention to it. It already happened. If Whatever you learned, unlearn it, because you didn't learn anything, all right? Bryce Young is one of my favorite quarterbacks, college quarterbacks I've ever watched in my life. He is so explosive and wiry and elusive and makes throws and sees the field in ways that most pro quarterbacks can never see. And he saw it as a freshman, you know, redshirt freshman, but still a freshman. Like Bryce Young is so ridiculously good. But God, man, that body. I mean, look, he weighed in, I think it was like 204. He was like 5'10 and 204, which is basically the same height and weight that Kyler Murray played at. He's not Kyler Murray, man. He's not built like Kyler Murray at all. His playing weight was probably 190, if not lower. You can't play at that size in the NFL. I mean, I, I, I had so many concerns about Tua coming out, and Tua was even a little bit taller and a little bit heavier. And the way his body has just deteriorated, you know, get he gets thrown on like a rag doll. And it's I'll say this now, Bryce Young is going to have moments in the NFL. Like there will be moments where you go, wow, that guy is special. I don't think it's going to pan out. I, I, I'm so, I so hope I'm wrong on Bryce Young because everything about him is everything you want. An amazing leader, a great kid, ridiculous mental IQ, football IQ, um, athleticism, like super athletic. I don't know how he's going to avoid injury playing at this level. I mean, yeah, he played in the SEC where there's some similar body types, but the speed is not the same. You know, you're going to pick – the, the best defense, SEC all, first team all defense, and then have them all gain 15 to 20 pounds and all be faster. That's essentially what he's going to be playing against in the NFL. That's how good NFL players are, especially the grown men who fully develop into their bodies. Yes, he played against Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, right? Jordan Davis looks like he's going to be a good player down the, down the line. 
But interior defensive linemen take at least three years to fully develop their bodies to be capable of, of being those elite level guys. I mean, we, I've been singing it about Jeffrey Simmons for the last three years. There are, there's a ton of size and speed and athleticism in the, in the SEC. But even if you played the first team all SEC defense, it's still 60%, 70% of what you're going to be facing in the NFL. So for me to see how Tua's body has gotten thrown around, to see how guys like Johnny Manziel, even who were like 6'1, 6'2, you know, Russ was 220 at six foot, right? Kyler Murray, even. And Kyler Murray's a significantly better runner and more mobile and agile than Bryce Young. And Bryce Young is very mobile and agile, but Kyler Murray's built completely different than Bryce Young. And, and I look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, same thing. Six foot, right? It's only an inch and a half difference, but Jalen Hurts could squat 600 pounds in college. For as much as I love Bryce Young, and God, I would love to see him work because he's so much fun to watch play football, I don't think it's going to work out. I still think he'll be the first overall pick, and I think he should because I think he has the best chance. But I'm I'm so worried about Bryce Young. Um, the only other one that can prove me wrong here is C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, to me, showed me stuff that – a lot of similar stuff in terms of toughness and leadership that I saw out of Justin Fields at Ohio State. And people on this podcast and re- remember back, I was not high on Justin Fields. Because I'm just not a high, I'm not high on how that Ohio State offense transitions to the NFL. But in that game against Georgia, against legitimate NFL players and guys who had become NFL players, CJ Stroud made some plays that I didn't think he had in him, mainly because he had never been tested in that way. But then you go back and you watch the game against Michigan, both of the last two games against Michigan, and you start to get concerned again. I don't know how much you can blame on that, but also there was no one else in the country who played with Jackson Smith and Jigba, though he missed most of the season, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and Chris Alave, and Garrett Wilson. I mean, those four right there could all be easily first-round draft picks. If Jack- and Jackson Smith and Jigba very much still could be. Marvin Harrison Jr. is definitely going to be a first-round draft pick. There's a chance that in the last two years, C.J. Stroud played with four first-round draft picks at wide receiver. And though it's very different than a guy like Mac Jones, there is some truth to the Mac Jones thing, right? Mac Jones play and, and Tua as well. I mean, right off the names, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, right? All those Jameson Williams, like all these elite guys who all went in the first round. So far, those guys haven't translated much either. And Justin Fields threw the ball way better in college than he does in the NFL. But that's also because Justin Fields was a lot more raw. Uh, and he had that one year at Georgia, which I think kind of hindered some of his development as a quarterback because he didn't actually get a chance to play. So only two years as a starter. CJ Stroud only had two years as a starter, but at least he had a third year in that system, um, you know, playing behind Justin Fields and working with Ryan Day. So I like CJ Stroud. I actually, actually kind of think his physical makeup and the tools and everything, I actually think there's a decent chance he works out because he's not the athlete Justin Fields is. He's not the runner, though people are going to try to compare it to it. He's kind of somewhere in between Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins, right? Where Dwayne Haskins couldn't run at all, but could sling it. And Justin Fields could sling it in college, but in that system with those wide receivers, but was also a dynamic athlete 
C.J. Stroud is a good athlete, way better than Dwayne Haskins, but he's nowhere close to the athlete that Justin Fields is. So wherever he goes, it's going to have to be a place where he can develop as a passer. Uh, I think a lot of mocks have him going to Houston. Actually, I think that's kind of a good fit, right? Because that's a young team. D'Amico Ryans is there. They're going to have some – they have a couple pieces, um, and they'll need some more help in terms of those wide receivers, uh, which they might to be able to get Jackson Smith and Jigba, right, later in the first round or in the second round. Uh, so I, I think we're going to see some some team take a shot on him. If I had to pick, again, I, I just believe in Bryce Young. Oh, I shouldn't say I believe. I just love Bryce Young from what I've seen from him and watching him over his career. But I have a lot, a lot of concerns about him being uh, a, you know, about him being uh, physically up for the task of being an NFL quarterback. I hope he does. But CJ Stroud, I think, has the physical makeup. but. Again, it's going to come down to the luck thing, right? Does C.J. Stroud get in the right situation? Does he get a veteran wide receiver? They have Brandon Cooks there, but he might be gone on after this year. Do they draft a young wide receiver? I know they drafted uh, – oh, I'm blanking on his name, the kid out of uh, Alabama who had um, who was diagnosed with cancer, um, who missed his whole rookie year um, last year. But So there will be pieces because I, I believe uh, he, that young man's going to be coming back. I, oh, man, I, I got to look it up. We got to get Zach Parker on this. Um, but I, I think CJ Stroud physically has the chance to, to, to do it, but I think it's also going to come with, um, with, with a lot of luck, you know, does he have enough there, um, for him to be able to actually, um, John, uh, that's sorry. I just found it. John Mechie, John Mechie, the third was the wide receiver, uh, out of Alabama who had cancer. Um, but right now they still have Brandon cooks, Nico Collins, John Mechie, maybe they go out and draft a Jackson Smith and Jigba. But, you know, for right now, if I'm one of these GMs, I mean, it's those two guys. Because once you get past that, and this goes further into it, look, Anthony Richardson just blew everyone's fucking brains out at the combine. And I get it. The the physical traits are off the charts. I remember watching videos of him when he was a freshman doing backflips in bare feet or in socks um, after games in the SEC playing for Florida. Like, the dude is a monster. And the, the two-point conversion play against Florida in week one or against Utah in week one at Florida was one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen a quarterback make. This guy was bad. He was a bad college quarterback. It wasn't just like, oh, he had some ups and downs. No, he was bad. Like, bad. All right? I, I, I get it. And people are going to make the Mahomes comparisons because he can throw the ball a mile. And, and then people are going to look at Cam Newton, who also started at Florida and went to Auburn. You know what Cam Newton did when he was in college? He won a fucking national championship. He was really, 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 really good at football. Anthony Richardson blew out his physical, Cam Newton's physical traits at the combine and from his pro day and all that other stuff, but didn't do anything in college other than one really, really good game against Utah because then everyone looked at the tape and what Billy Napier was doing out in Florida and they figured it out by week two. I would love it if Anthony Richardson actually turns out to be sick because the physical tools alone are enough to make you want to drool. But I'm telling you now, Anthony Richardson was a bad college quarterback. This isn't even close. But teams are going to fall in love with traits. Right. But what did we just talk about two months ago during the NFC playoffs? No one wanted Brock Purdy. 
right? Nobody wanted Brock Purdy because he didn't have the traits. He didn't have the monster arm. He wasn't the sick athlete. But you know what he did? You know what the he produced? All right. He produced. And the old adage in scouting is you draft traits and not production. And I say bullshit to that. You draft both. You want both. You want someone with traits who also was able to produce. If you solely draft off of traits, you're going to miss on a lot of good talent. If you only drafted, I mean, look at a guy like N'Kobe Dean who fell to the third round, who was one of the best defensive players I've ever seen at the collegiate level. He only got limited snaps for the Eagles this year because they had two starting linebackers. But one of them, at least one of them is going to be gone this year and we're going to see N'Kobe Dean play. But when he did play, he was a stud. He flew around the field. You know why? Because the tape doesn't lie. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. And I'm not saying don't draft people based off of traits, right? Patrick Mahomes was based was drafted based off of traits. But you know what Mahomes also did in college? He also threw for a shitload of yards. He also had monster games. Yeah, he made mistakes and his mechanics were shit sometimes. But there was enough there to say this guy was going to be a first-round quarterback. Anthony Richardson should be a late first round at the earliest if you're, ba- if you're drafting based off of traits. Lamar Jackson produced in college. And his traits were, well, he's a ridiculous athlete, can run the ball, mate, you know, all the Bill Polian shit, which is really just like two people who were saying it. But all of that draft off of production and traits it doesn't have to be one or the other but there's going to be a team that falls in love with him and is probably going to get drafted in the top five and that's a huge mistake unless you are prepared for anthony richardson to sit for minimum of two years anthony anthony richardson should be drafted where jordan love was drafted where now if aaron Rodgers actually does get traded Jordan Love's going to step in. And he had to sit for, what, two two full seasons? This is now going to be Jordan Love's third season in the NFL. And we're going to get a chance to see him play a little bit. Don't make the mistake and draft Anthony Richardson in the top five. Don't do it. Seriously, don't. The only team, the only team that I would say should entertain this is Seattle. Because Seattle's going to be in the back half of the top 10. And they have Geno there. And their roster is good. They have young talent across. They have extra draft picks. They're going to be able to still fill in the rest of their roster. They're going to be able to still fill out the rest of the roster through cap and everything else. And they also were a team that won 10 games this year. If you're Seattle... Make the trade. I I make the pick. I actually don't. I don't hate that if I'm Seattle, but that's because you know that Anthony Richardson's not touching a football field unless he absolutely has to, for at least two seasons. Because that's that's how raw Anthony Richardson is. For as amazing of an athlete as he is, it miss me with the Cam Newton shit. All right, Cam Newton took a team of bums at Auburn and won a national championship in the SEC. Anthony Richardson took a team of decent players to like what the, the, the Gators Sarsaparilla bowl. If they even made a bowl game, come on, we're better than that. Uh, and the last one's will love us who 
I know there's a lot of Penn State people who listen to this pod. He was a Penn State guy. He leaves for Kentucky. Oh, my God, look how good Will Levis was his junior year. Comes back for an extra year. I, he was bad. He was bad. He had a really bad season. Now, if you're the optimist, you'll say, all right, well, it's basically the same trend that happened with Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen goes to Wyoming. His second year starting has this prolific year. Wyoming's a really fun team, frisky group of five team, right? And then, well, Josh Allen uh, loses all the talent around him, loses offensive line help, has a really bad year, but the traits were still off the charts. But you still had that year to look on a production. That's what you're hoping for with Will Levis. But Will Levis is not the athlete that Josh Allen is. He doesn't have the arm strength, though he does have a strong arm. The Will Levis being a top 10 pick thing is really interesting. And I think it's more likely he falls to a team like Carolina at nine, which I think McShay actually has in his most recent mock draft um, or a team, maybe like a team like Atlanta who trades back. Then I think he does to be like a lock top five pick. I also think there's a really good chance he kind of falls. I, I think more than likely he's a slightly better athlete version of Mac Jones, um, except Mac Jones, I think is a much better quarterback in, in terms of the way he sees the field, even still. Um, I don't get the Will Levis hype. There's some traits there that you like, um, but there's also plenty of there that you kind of scratch your head and go like, really, this is the guy we're going to draft. But all right. Um, all right. Number two, Aaron Rodgers and Lamar both changed teams. Now, most people would say this should be the number one, right? Cause it's, this is the thing everyone talks about. Rodgers, I think is all but gone. I think if you're getting this far, especially with what broke, um, and I had this written down before that news came out, just so everybody knows. But at this point, we'd kind of known that there have been talks and stuff going on. I think that relationship is done. I think it's over. I think it's hilarious to me that he's just completely step-for-step step replicating Brett Favre's career, even though he <laughs> hated Brett Favre when they were there together, and he's just turning into like a hippie. Ver- Instead of being like redneck, he's, he's the opposite of uh, Brett Favre in terms of you know, though they probably agree on vaccines. So I guess that's fair. Um, but he is like the hippie drug guy version of Brett Favre. And Brett Favre is the hick version of Aaron Rodgers. Like they're, they're, they're going down the exact same path and it's hilarious and weird. Um, I'm so over the Aaron Rodgers shit, man. I, I loved watching him at his peak and I still think he's got some good football years left. And I think he'll, if he goes to New York, he's going to be reinvigorated and he's probably going to have a really good year. Um, and then we'll get there to this time a year from now after they don't win a Super Bowl and we'll be like, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do all over again? Because the dude, um, the world revolves around him, even though he likes to pretend that it doesn't. Uh, the Lamar thing I do think is, is probably more bold to say. I just don't see a world where Lamar plays – for the Ravens this year. If they don't get a long-term extension done, I don't think he plays on the, uh, on the franchise tag. I, I think it's more than likely. And I can't believe that the Ravens were going to do this because they know if you actually put the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar, the amount of money that would get thrown at him from other teams that then Baltimore would have to match would probably be more than what they could work out with Lamar. It's just shocking to me that the the front office and everyone there, Harbaugh, everything else in Baltimore, um, is just headstrong about not paying Lamar the money. 
And I just don't think I don't see a world where it all gets worked out this season. feels like when you're trying to read the tea leaves and, you know, well, this insider saying this and this guy saying this and Schefter and rap and this report comes out and that. Um, and then, oh, they had a meeting. Oh, they didn't have it, it's when you when you're trying to read the tea leaves on it. It doesn't seem like there's consistent communication, not only between Baltimore and Lamar, but between both parties and what's being told to the public through the media. And it seems like when there's that much confusion and lack of communication, I don't see a world where when it's that messed up that anything's actually going to get done or get fixed. So that one to me is more of a hunch than anything. Maybe it's not Lamar changes teams. Maybe it's Lamar. Just I'll say this. Lamar won't play for the Ravens this year. I think Rodgers won't play for the Packers. I think he'll move on to the Jets or somewhere else, probably the Jets. And I think Lamar won't play for the Ravens. Uh, and then that leaves us with our final uh, and impactful offseason prediction. The quarterback extensions that will be coming out this year in this offseason, Herbert, Hertz, and uh, Burrow, most likely all three, are not going to be as astronomical as people think they're going to be. And I have a couple of reasons why I'm saying this. Primarily, it comes back to the Deshaun Watson contract. When the Browns gave Deshaun that contract, and like I said a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Lamar and Daniel Jones and Derek Carr and all that, when the Browns made that deal, it was A, an unprecedented situation, uh, not only the legal stuff going on, which isn't completely unprecedented, but to that extent it was. Um, but for a quarterback that young, that talented, uh, to be on an open market the way that Deshaun was, uh, and the fact that there was trade capital involved and you had a true bidding war between billionaires. And when you have a true bidding war between billionaire billionaires, not only is the number going to be astronomical, but it's going to turn into a giant pissing contest to say which one of these piece of shit owners is going to pay the, the money that you know Deshaun ends up getting. And we see it's the highest guaranteed number in NFL history. And it's a number that pissed off every other owner other than the Haslam's in Cleveland. Every, everyone else in the NFL fucking hated that contract, right? Every other owner looks at that and goes like, dude, really? Like, re like really, man? You're going to get that much money and all the capital, draft capital and everything else you gave up? Like, really? Fuck. Because then they know that when then their quarterbacks come and negotiate that there's going to be a whole new market that comes out. Point, you know, point in case... Baltimore, Lamar Jackson. It's basically been the premise of this whole thing the whole time. And the fact of the matter is the owners aren't going to give them to you. They're not. They're not. But there's another huge contract that was given out not that long ago that I think a lot of teams should look at and try to emulate. And that's the Patrick Mahomes contract. Now, look. I'm not sitting here and saying Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts should all get 10-year, $450 million contracts because that's an insane thing to say. However, longer-term deals might be the move that these guys end up taking. Longer-term deals with not insane guaranteed money, 
is not typically the model that NFL owners and front offices like to give. But if you believe in your guy, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, whatever you'll be paying them on a seven, eight-year deal, towards the end of that deal is going to be far less than what the new market average will be six or seven years down the line. I'm looking at right now, Patrick Mahomes' contract. When he is 31 years old, all right, in the year 2026, three seasons from now, actually, sorry, four seasons from now, he'll be making $41.95 million. That number seems high, but $41.95 million of a cap hit is not that bad. It's really not. And that's, again, that's the cap hit. That's before you restructure two years from now and muss around, which really good GMs like the Howie Rosemans will end up doing. It's not going to be that bad for compared to a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's basically making that right now and is going to be making more. Or a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's going to be making significantly more than that right now. The highest number is $52.45 million when Patrick Mahomes is 36 years old in the year 2031. I don't know if because of the injury stuff with Hurts and his style of play, if that's the move the Eagles are going to move going. But if I'm Cincinnati, knowing how perpetually cheap that franchise has been, if I'm the Chargers, who, again, not the wealthiest of NFL franchises, but have this gift in Justin Herbert, lock it down for the long term. Make those guys happy. Give them a number because look, $450 million was the big splashy headline on the Patrick Mahomes deal, right? It's only 141 million total guaranteed, which is a high number, but we've already seen Kyler Murray get more than that. We've seen Josh Allen get more than that. We've seen Deshaun Watson get more than that. So already you're setting yourself up for success. And the longer you put on that contract, the more financial wiggle room you can have as a GM. You know, the more you can, hey, we're going to turn, you know, $10 million of this year's contract into a signing bonus, which is going to help the cap hit. And then we're going to be able to spend more money on other players. But the player's still going to get that total amount of money. Sign up for an eight-year deal. Do eight years for, call it, what, eight years for $375 million? I mean, I... I don't know a player in the NFL who wouldn't take it, right? And then you mark it down, okay, 160 total guaranteed. Because the wiggle room that comes into it, and again, that number is going to seem massive, but compared it to the 225 or 230 million guaranteed that you're giving to Deshaun Watson, it's nowhere near as astronomical. And it puts those franchises in situations where you took care of your franchise guy. You took care of the quarterback that you needed to take care of. The guy who's going to hopefully take you to Super Bowls and hopefully win you Super Bowls and hopefully, at the very least, keep you in contention for a long, long time. It gives you the chance to do that. And then here's the other kick. All right. The dead cap money on Mahomes' deal 
ends after the 2025 season. And even if, even if for whatever reason, the Chiefs wanted to move on from Patrick Mahomes after the 2024 season, it would only be a $4.3 million cap hit, right? The total years of dead cap money on, on Patrick Mahomes' contract was six. The first year when he was still under his rookie deal but signed the extension in 2020, he had a $64.9 million cap hit, but that's because the extension hadn't kicked in yet. Then the second year, 2021, the extension still hadn't kicked in yet. He was making $7.4 million. That was a $99 million cap hit. And then 2022, the year his extension kicked in, $35 million base or cap hit, $130 million cap or dead cap hit, $94 million for this upcoming season, $48 million for next season, uh, or for the 2024 season. And then 2025, it would be a $4.3 million cap hit. So essentially, if you believe in a guy like Jalen Hurts, and but you're still worried about the injury stuff. You can bake in your out clause four years down the line. And if I'm the Eagles, I'm betting on four years of healthy Jalen Hurts. And then if it, if it doesn't happen, if he does get hurt, if he doesn't turn into the same player, then you move off of it, right? Then you can get out of it. And if he ends up still being the stud, then you're going to be able to pay him a much more balanced amount of money. And then it doesn't matter what the total guarantee is because by that point, you're already banking more money as the player. And then you get into renegotiating and you change the guaranteed monies or you, you redo what that contract looks like. But to me, even though on the surface, and I know I said, hey, the QB contracts are going to be as insane as we think. I think what's insane is paying Deshaun Watson over $200 million fully guaranteed. I think what the Chiefs did with Mahomes was brilliant. And I look at the Chargers and the Bengals and the Eagles and say, I think those three guys are all going to be good for a long time. I will bet on all three of those guys to be good for the next five plus years. So give them an eight-year deal with the dead cap money running out after the fifth year. Pay them. Give them incentive, right? If you live out this contract and you meet your goals, you could be end up making 250 to $300 million dollars. And you're guaranteeing them a high number, but they're not going to be that fully guaranteed deal, which I still think, going back to the Lamar and those other things, that a lot of quarterbacks could very easily do. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing what Geno Smith did or doing what Kirk Cousins did and getting the, the shorter deal with the fully guaranteed. I'm saying pick one or the other. Don't do the really high number and make it fully guaranteed like the Browns did. Don't give them the really high number where 90% of it is guaranteed like the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray. Give them the option. You can get the longer-term deal that's a really high number with a really solid amount of guaranteed money, and you can play up to whatever that total is going to be or go short-term with a fully guaranteed deal. Either way, I don't think that these contracts we're going to see for these guys are going to reset the market in terms of, or even come close to the market that was set with Deshaun Watson because that Deshaun Watson situation was so completely, was such a complete outlier. But these three guys all have a chance to do something. And I, again, I look at baseball in the Bryce Harper contract. The Bryce Harper contract is a really smart deal. 
And yes, that's a fully guaranteed deal and baseball operates different. I get it, but you can still take some of the thought process behind there and apply it to football because we saw the chiefs do it with Mahomes. Now they signed that deal right after winning a super bowl. So I get it. I get it. It's not all the same, but Joe Burrow has been to a super bowl and Jalen hurts has been to a super bowl and they were both damn close to winning it. And I'll tell you what, I would sign up for either one of those guys. And I would also do it for Herbert. Give them the eight to 10 year deal. Protect yourself and give yourself an out, but bet on them for the next five years at least. And then renegotiate down the line if you have to. But ultimately, I think that's a much smarter angle to go about it. And I think we're going to see whether it's, I guess my prediction here is that I'm saying we're not going to see a Deshaun Watson contract. I don't think we're going to see a Kyler Murray contract. And I could be completely wrong. But if I know Howie Roseman, and I look at those two franchises in Cincinnati and the Chargers know how perpetually cheap they've always been. Now they're lucky that they have that extra year of eligible of, of cap flex or the extra year um, on the contract that the Eagles don't have because Jalen was a second round pick and obviously Burrow and Herbert were both first round picks. So they have the fifth year extension. The Eagles are going to do something unique and crafty here. And I think it's going to change what happens with both Burrow and Herbert's contracts. So we'll see. All right. Those are my predictions. Take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got the players championship coming up this weekend. I have picks for you. Talk a little live, talk a little full swing. And we'll get you guys on the way to the rest of your week. All right, let's move on here to PGA tour players championship week. The unofficial like fifth, major is it's become a running gag in golf like oh you know what's the fifth major i know the part of my take guys do that joke all the time like they'll call everything a fifth major if one of their guys uh wins the tournament um i don't know i there seems to be a lot of heated opinions and some I, to me there there really isn't a fifth major but if you had to pick one i i think the reverence and the way that people respect and and really love this champion this this tournament in particular the players um i don't know it does feel a little bit different than you know say even something like what we had a couple you know a couple weeks ago tigers tournament um at riviera you know like there's a ton of really really great tournaments um but if we're talking non-majors i mean i would say after the four majors the next important one is the Ryder cup but that's also only once every two years so um yeah, I would say this, if you had to pick one that happens every year, PGA Tour event, obviously the majors are not PGA Tour events. They operate outside of the majors. Um, I would say the players probably is that. Uh, but it's an awesome field. It's 156 golfers. It's the best in the world, minus the live guys. Um, and I'm really excited for it. And so we got some picks lined up for you here. Uh, before we get into that, though, I – so what's interesting about the players this year is there is no returning champion. The returning champion is Cam Smith and Cam Smith is currently playing on the live tour and making a ton of money. And I'm sure loving every aspect of his life. Um, it's interesting after watching full swing um, and also seeing how the start of the live tour has um has kind of happened this year. Look, essentially what we all thought in the moment was a hundred percent accurate, right? 
the two biggest concerns, right? If, if you're looking at just live, it was, does anybody actually care? Does anybody want to watch a golf league that has no history, that has the backing and funding that it does, that has primarily washed up golfers? Is anybody going to actually watch that? And in the early days, we had the the YouTube streams that Liv was on. And, the, you know, the, the first couple tournaments, it was, you know, 50 to 100,000 people live streaming, which are impressive numbers. But, like, Big Cat also did that when he played college football, NCAA college football during the pandemic. So it's like, all right, yeah, that's cool. But, like, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? But still, 100,000 people, okay, that's not a bad start. And then that number slowly went down, went down, continued to go down. And Liv still stood up there and said, oh, we had this, we had this massive bidding war going on about our TV contracts. We got three different TV networks knocking at our doors, begging us to have Liv. And what did they settle on? The CW. <laughs> right after reruns of 7th Heaven and uh, whatever that, that Superman TV show was that they had on forever. It's, it's, it's really funny because from the live standpoint, we'll get to the golfer's side of it too, but from the league standpoint, the product isn't very good. It gets dragged on social media. You know, their hype video that they had was just horrendous. Um, and I think ultimately, like we all kind of knew it wasn't going to work. And it, it's not to say that it's not working because with when you have, people running a league that have unlimited money that don't need a consistent revenue stream. It doesn't matter. But ultimately that was one of the big concerns is where are they going to make their money from? Are they going to get it from a big TV deal? Well, they got some sort of TV deal, but it's not really making much money. How much are you going to get from, you know, from, from live events? All right. I mean, they have decent turnouts, but they still average less people at their events than the PGA tour does. So what, where are they getting this consistent string of revenue from? And the truth is they're just not getting it because it's a flawed idea. And it's an idea that was, it, it goes back to the, you know, the Abe Lincoln quote, right? Like a house divided can't stand. Right. Which is basically talking about, you know, uh, politics essentially saying, you know, if, if two halves of anything are butting heads, it's you're, you're building something on a bad foundation is basically what it's saying. And ultimately with, with live, it was built on really shit foundation. The way it started with Phil Mickelson, right. And uh, you know, there's some dangerous motherfuckers over there and all that stuff. And then, you know, all the leaks of all the players they were going after the $800 million offer they were going to give to tiger and, trying to get Jack Nicholas to be the, 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 the president and the, the CEO or whatever of the league or the commissioner of the, of the live league. And it just all kind of backfired on them. And then there was the political side of it too. And, and the moral side of it, which was like, how are you going to, and it just, it started off so uncertain. And then you start talking about the logistical questions about like, how are you, how is this league going to make money? And, and the truth is it's just not going to make money. It's going to get funded by gazillionaires who have an unlimited bankroll and will continue to do it for as long as the league wants to be around. No one watches it. The first overnight rating when they're on their TV deal with um, the CW was a point two, And I'm pretty sure like 
the George Lopez show on Nick at night gets like a pretty similar rating just from people falling asleep with it on TV. Like, you know, I think everyone woke up at some point in night to George Lopez jumping up and down on that trampoline. Right. Like Those numbers are probably not that far off. Like it's a joke, but it's probably not that far off. Um, so I, I, and what's fascinating too, is then you, you circle in watching the full swing documentary that came out right around the same time that the, the first live TV event comes out and you get the point to rating. And then you're kind of watching it and, and you're seeing Dustin Johnson, right. And be like, Hey man, I got nothing else to prove. You know, it's clear how Paulina felt about it. His wife, Paulina Gretzky grew up with a dad who, you know, was the best hockey player of all time. And one of the best athletes of all time and was never around. Um, because he was a professional athlete and he, she didn't want her kids to have that too. So when he says, you know, it's for my family, I think it's probably because Paulina said, Hey motherfucker, you should probably stop playing so many events and be around your family. Maybe a little bit of baggage that uh, old Gretzky there had with her as well. Um, And then it's the thing we all knew, which was the money. I mean, the thing that shocked me about the full swing thing was I didn't realize that Brooks Kepka lacked the competitive juice that, he does he gives off this you know when he was on tour and winning majors he had this bravado man he was this tough guy he had the muscles he could pound the ball you know he puts in his massive fucking lip a dip right and he's sitting around and it turns out like dude's kind of afraid to compete you know he's kind of afraid and like i get it it's a ton of pressure i'm not sitting here saying i could do it any better but from a dude who always tried to like exude the tough guy image on the bad boy on tour kind of stuff that so many people, myself included, loved Brooks for, the documentary really showed you like the second it was like, hey, my body's starting to break down and, you know, I just I don't want to compete anymore. I'd rather just get a big fat check. That's what he did. And like, hey, man, I think we'd all like to be able to work. And, and this was the line in the documentary that that. Dustin Johnson said, which was like, if I could tell anybody at your job, hey, you're going to work significantly less and make significantly more, everybody would do it. And it's like, yeah, for sure. But that's not the whole story either. Like that simple question, of course, everybody would, because that's a lot of times what happens with executives in tons of companies. You work as the the middling man, right? And you're you're typing in code at a software company, or you're you're sa- you're a sales guy, and you're making you know cold calls to people across, and like you're making probably dog shit money, and you're making most of your money off a of commission, and you're trying to make your way through. But eventually, you work your way up. You know it happens with lawyers all the time who are working seventy five hour weeks, and then eventually get to a point where they can have their own practice where they don't have to do all of that shit. Like yes, that happens all the time. But that's also completely different. You've already banked hundreds, uh, easily over a hundred million dollars. Seventy-five. It was seventy-five million alone on tour. Not to mention all of your, you know, your sponsorship deals and the TV ads and whatever you're getting from TaylorMade and Nike and all the other places. You are fine financially. Save that bullshit. If you wanted to just show up at majors, play enough events to qualify on the world golf ranking, you could have done that and not gone. You went because of the money. You went because of the money. I mean, look, ultimately, and this is the biggest crock of shit, I I think at least, with the golf is like the best players on tour play about 20 weekends a year. All right. 
20 weekends, four days if you make every single cut. And yes, you have your practice and your training and all that stuff that you'll have to do, you know, mon- you know, Monday through Wednesday and your rehab and your workouts and all that stuff. And I get that, but you're not doing anything else. Your work days are 80 days out of the year. And yeah, those 80 days, you're going to be traveling. But that's still like a quarter of the year. The rest of it, you're going to be in your hometown. You're going to be with your kids, with your wife. The, the, the work-life balance of golf is already pretty good. And yeah, you sometimes it sucks and sometimes it'll be two weeks and sometimes you'll be in Europe for a couple weeks and sometimes it, yeah. But like, ultimately, you're still spending more than half the year not traveling. So saying that like, hey, I'm not around for my family as much, it's bullshit. It is. It's absolute bullshit. Or do what Tony Finau did in the documentary, which I thought was one of the best episodes of the whole thing. Tony Finau bringing his whole family around on tour last season because his wife was going through a tragedy and he needed to be there for her and her family. And he was still able to do it. And he won twice on tour and he made a shitload of money. Tony Finau in in two weekends won like $5 million. And that's not including the the top tens and the other stuff he had. He's probably banked at least six or seven million last year on tour, you know, and look, is that the 125 or 150 million, whatever it is that DJ got after he signed with live since his team won and live? Of course not. Of course not. But he was able to be around his family all season and he was able to still make enough money. So it goes back to the question, right? You're working less. Cool. You're around your family a little bit more, even though you could have been around them as much as you wanted to as a golfer. I, it's crazy to me. And even for a guy like DJ, who still could go out and win a major this year easily, you didn't have, like, you still, you didn't have to go, but at least I get it because at least you're kind of past your prime. The Cam Smith stuff, you know, rewatching some of that stuff at the Open was really interesting. You know, the response of like, hey, you know, my team makes those decisions right after he won the British Open or the Open. And I get it. I get it. Probably wasn't the best time for that question. But when you remember how fucking like intense the live stuff got there, you know, 10 months ago and and over the last 10 months, it's it's pretty shocking. And it was really fun to kind of go back and and rewatch that. So, um, you know, look, to put a cap on and to put a bow on the whole live stuff, at least this part of it is like. It's not getting any better. The product is still shit. They're still getting paid their money. And it's basically everything we thought it was going to be. And what I think Full Swing proved even more is that Liv is not a threat to the tour. But instead, it's the XFL. Liv is the original XFL. Because when you go back to the original XFL, there was a lot of smart things that Vince McMahon did. When he started the XFL, instant replays, slow-mo cameras, the sky cam. There's a lot of interesting stuff that the XFL did that the NFL said, oh, okay, here's this league. doesn't hold a candle to us. Still is nowhere close to as popular as us or makes as much money. But they had some decent ideas, things that our players would like, things that would probably go well and negotiate. I mean, you know, we're just going to take that and we're going to steal it. We're going to put in our league because our league, we're still popular no matter what. That's actually a pretty good idea. So we're going to take that. And that's what the PGA Tour is doing. 
Starting in 2024, they're going to have events that will have no cut. And I think it's going to be like 10 events a year. It's going to be a smaller field. It's going to be 80 players. The players who are in the top 80 in the uh, world golf rankings or or in the FedEx points or whatever, however, the, the, whatever metric they use to measure it, the top 80 players will get to go and that'll be their reward. And then there'll be no cuts and the players will make more money, which ultimately from a fan perspective, I don't love, I like the cuts, but from a player's perspective, I get it. You're paying for caddies. You're paying for hotel rooms and Airbnbs every weekend. You're grinding it out to at least guarantee that, Hey, I'm going to fly to Arizona this week to compete in this elevated event, which is what they're calling them. They're calling them these elevated events. I'm going to go to the waste management open and I'm going to guarantee myself at least, you know, $20,000 or something. So I can pay my caddy and I can pay off my expenses and then we can go to the next one. But you also have to earn your spot in there. Now, part of that is like the elevated events are going to guarantee that all the top players go and play, which is great. But in the other events that are still going to have cuts, you're probably going to see less, which I think is actually more of a negative. But they're still taking these things from live things that drove Phil, Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and all these guys to go over there. You're still going to take that and the ideas that they had and the reasons that they left and some of them at least, and you're going to put them and add them to the PGA tour. And hopefully you're going to make your players happier. Cause at this point, I don't think anyone else is leaving. I don't think we're going to have anybody else try to leave for the, uh, for live anytime soon, not seeing it just kind of how much of a shit show it's been. It's not a good product and no one cares about it. And then when you look at the Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer invitational this past weekend, right. And you look at the leaderboard and you see McElroy and Scheffler and Spieth, and you're seeing the biggest names in golf all at the top of the leaderboard. And then you also see guys like Harris English who've, who've been around, who like people know, but maybe aren't like the biggest names. And then out of nowhere, you get Kurt Kediyama, who just shows up and wins the damn thing with one of the sickest ball marks I've ever seen. The ball was halfway into the hole, just sitting right on the edge, and he marked it. So that I forget who he was playing with. Whoever he was playing with could finish that, Harris English maybe. Um, I love that shit, man. I do. I think it's awesome. And there's nothing else in the world of golf that competes to it. And the live tour, cool. You got Cam Smith. That sucks. I wish Cam Smith was on the PGA Tour. He's awesome. So I wish DJ was still on the PGA Tour. I wish Phil was still on the PGA Tour. But those guys made their decisions and got their money, and they're going to go off, and Greg Norman's going to continue to sink that thing, and it's going to keep getting funded because the Saudis are going to keep pumping money into it until inevitably it's going to make no sense and it's going to fold, and all those guys are going to beg to come back to the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour is not going anywhere. Just like the NFL wasn't going anywhere when the XFL started or the AAF or the new iteration of the XFL. And the smart thing is, those other new NFL, those new football leagues are not trying to take down the NFL because they know that they can't because people tried that before and it didn't work. The AFL, the XFL, doesn't work. Can't take down something that is that established, that has the history, that has the interest of the fans and is just a far more competitive product. And watching that lit, that the full swing documentary, you're going through it and being like, oh my God, there's so many guys. Like the Tony Fina episode was awesome because you saw Tony, but I actually thought it was interesting that they kind of painted Colin Morikawa as like a dick. Maybe not a dick. That might be a little strong, but they kind of, they didn't paint him in the best of lights. You know, they were, he was the young guy who's only obsessed with golf and is just trying to chase Tiger and wants to be this next, you know, all time, you know, great kind of golfer. 
Um, but you get your Colin Morkowers and then you get your Tony Finesse, who are like the unbelievably likable, incredibly talented guys. You know, you're going to have your, your Victor Hovland, who like wasn't even really a part of the, the whole story. You have your Joel Damon's like the Joel Damon episode was phenomenal, you know, and his run and taking a crack at the U S open and, and Matt Fitzpatrick, right. You know, the little guy who's taken down the big bad guy who left for will uh, live in, in with Dustin or Dustin Johnson. Like I, I thought the documentary series was fantastic. I thought it highlighted everything that the PGA tour has to offer. Um, the Mito Pereira and Sahith Tagala episode where you're looking at those two guys as rookies and Mito Pereira pissed away the PGA championship as a rookie and uh, Sahith Tagala at the waste management. Like both of those guys were rookies and they were still that good. And they were going toe to toe with Justin Thomas and, and Scotty Scheffler and even Brooks Kepka, right? So he's the guy going up against those guys and like competing. And those are rookies on the PGA tour. You know, they, that is so awesome. And that's before you even get into like the, the, the personalities of the Kevin Kisners and guys like Max Homa who have blown up this year. And then you still have monsters like Rory and Jordan Spieth and JT and, and John Rahm. Like the PGA tour is in such a great place. And it would be awesome if we could, because it could be even better if we had these, other big names like Brooks. Cause I guarantee you, like if Brooks was playing on the PGA tour, he would have an event where all of a sudden he gets hot and he's on the top of the leaderboard on a Sunday going up against Rory. And that would be awesome. But they, they made their bed and they're laying in it and that's fine. Like they made their choice, but ultimately live golf is just the XFL. That's all it is. It's rich people funding us a, a league that they want to try to create. And the PGA Tour said, hey, we're going to take that and some of the things you did that are actually pretty smart and good ideas, and we're going to steal it, and we're going to keep our players happy, and they're going to stay here, and we're going to continue to have a better product than anything that you possess. And I think it's really awesome. <laughs> I think it's awesome that the PGA Tour, you're for, you know, in, into this or 10 months into this whole live shit, we're seeing just how good the PGA Tour still is on a week-in and week-out basis. It's just going to continue to get better. And we have now one of the best tournaments that we have Arguably, if we're just talking PGA Tour, because that's no mat, no majors, probably one of the top two. I'd say this, the FedEx Cup, you know, probably up there for like the biggest and most important um, in terms of history and everything else uh, tournaments that we have in golf on the PGA Tour. It's this, and I'd say the FedEx Cup is probably more because you're talking about an eighteen million dollar purse for or eighteen million dollars to the the guy who finishes first and a ridiculously high purse in general. Um, but the purses are going up this year. They're going to go up more next year. We're going to have these elevated events, which I think will add a nice little wrinkle to it. Um, though I do think some of the events that are maybe more low key, you know, like the AT&T open, uh, which is at Pebble beach every year. Um, like some of those will probably lose if it's not one of the elevated events, but there's going to be a lot of golfers like the Jordan Smith's beats and the top tier guys who are going to look at that and say, Hey, you know what? Like I would kind of love to go play at Pebble beach. Because that course means something. And in live, you're not going to have that. You're not going to have these, even like these lower tier events that are on legendary golf courses where you're still going to get top stars. Like those guys are going to have to go play and they're, you know, they're 10 events or whatever it is. And they're going to make their money and cool. Congrats. Like enjoy your yacht. All right. The average fan's not going to care about you. And that's fine. You're going to live a very awesome life, a life that again, all of us would love to have a big yacht and a giant mansion in Florida or in California in Arizona and have a very happy, wonderful life. Like we would all love that. But if I was a pro golfer, I would still take the grind of the PGA tour. 
I, I just would. I, th- there's the history and, and meaningfulness. And as a golf fan, there's nothing that Liv is ever going to do, have, or say that's going to change my mind and think that Liv is anything more than just a crock of shit because that's what it is. It's a crock of shit and it's going to be around and eventually it's not going to be worth pumping in the millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that they're putting into it until you know these contracts come up and then maybe we'll see some of these guys come back and play on the PGA Tour at a later point. But for now, they've got their thing and golf fans are not into it whatsoever. All right. Um, with that being said, let's get into the Players' Championship this weekend. One of my favorite golf courses, TPC Sawgrass, the legendary 17th Island Green. But what's cool about this tournament, one of the reasons it's one of my favorites on tour, is because anybody can win there. Anybody. We've had guys who are short hitters and really good ball strikers win it. We've had guys who get hot lights out with the putter who've won on uh, on Sunday and gone up a you know, mad charge. Uh, we've had guys who don't hit it very long we've had guys who can bomb it absolute like piss missiles like rory and jt have won it we have these in 2021 when jt won and it was the shot shaping you know the way he can control it because there's so many big dog legs and it's it's all about like whoever shows up and is playing the best golf that day or these four days i should say Um, which i think makes it a really really fun tournament to watch because going into it you really have no idea who's going to win um the weather last year was horrendous. It took five days to complete this tournament. And you had like every single season, uh, I think it got down to like 38 degrees or something in Florida. Um, one of those days last year, and it was downpouring rain. We had tons of pauses. We're not going to have any of that this year, which is a good thing. So it should be four days of really nice weather and, and really fun competitive golf. So um, we'll start with my, uh, my picks to win. Um, as we did, whenever we do our golf, picks here i'll give you some of my favorites and then some long shots i think have a good chance um players to uh, i know we'll start with our top 10 we'll do finishing top 10 uh with odds courtesy of FanDuel. top 10 jordan spieth um the this is one of those when people say like why do you like to bet on golf and this is the reason i always say i love to bet on golf because you can get really good value on the best players in the world to not even be like that brilliant that week, right? Like Jordan Spieth was 10 under par on Sunday uh, at the Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer Invitational this past weekend and bogey three out of the last four and falls all the way down to uh, minus seven. The winning number was minus t- eight or minus nine. So minus 10 wins you the tournament um, and Jordan Spieth couldn't close it out, but he's been playing really good golf this year. He's been striking the ball really well. We also, you know, he's won a couple of times. He had the win in Texas last year. He won uh, in Hilton Head last year. So we've seen some moments. But we haven't had a signature win from Jordan in a while, particularly when we're talking about the majors. He finished second against Morikawa at the Open two years ago. So we, we have, but we haven't had like a classic Jordan Spieth, like dominant, like stretch or just a win at a really big tournament in a while. So I think Jordan Spieth top 10 is plus 360. Like if you if you told me that like one of the best players in the NBA was going to score thirty, you know, hey, here's LeBron James to score thirty points in this game is plus three sixty. Like who's who's not taking those odds? Um, you know, same thing. Hey, we you think Kansas City Chiefs, you know, to to cover a, a minus three and a half spread? 
you know, like things that are very tangible, very easily achievable things for the best in the world at plus 360 to finish top 10 with the way he's been playing um, strokes gain for him uh, in the, uh, uh, sorry, out of the fairways with his irons have been really, really good. The putters let him down a little bit, um, but this isn't the most different. It's, this isn't a course that's known for having extremely difficult putts other than, you know, occasional ones on like 17. So I love Jordan Spieth plus 360. Um, Tommy Fleetwood plus 750. He's had some moments over the last couple of years. I mean, again, for Tommy, it's all about consistency. He's going to shoot really low one day. And then, um, you know, the first two rounds, he's going to shoot really low. And then he's probably going to have uh, a less than stellar round, right? So for Tommy, it's like, hey, if you go out and shoot 68, can you back it up with a, with a 70 the next day, right? And just put yourself in contention going into the weekend. Plus 750 for a top 10 for Tommy, I don't think is a bad bet. Um, Webb Simpson has won this before, does not hit it long, but he knows this place. He's played it a lot. You're getting him at plus 1,000 to finish top 10. That's definitely more of a long shot, but it's a guy who's won here before. And again, you don't have to hit the ball a long way to perform well at TPC Sawgrass. You just have to be consistent. Uh, and a guy who's been an incredible ball striker his whole career. I love that. Um, Stuart Sink, this is a, um, a really big long shot, plus 2,300 for Stuart Sink uh, in in uh, in here. Now, look, Stuart Sink won on tour, uh, what, two, two years ago, a year and a half ago. So he's older. Out of, again, this is long shot. You're just getting really good odds for a top 10 finish and with ties and everything else. You know, minus four, there could be. 15 people there that are all tied there. Right. But if it's, if that's the, if that's the mark, then you're still hitting. So I like those odds. Uh, and then Ryan Fox first time playing here. So there's a little bit of that. Hey, first time, can he kind of catch the magic, but he's not uncomfortable with big moments. He's played in 14 majors. So he's been in a lot of majors. He's been in big situations. Um, first time playing here though, but again, it's not the most challenging course, you know, it's, it's, it's not something where a ton of course familiarity is going to give you some massive advantage. And I, I think Ryan Fox here, who's been playing really well, he's finished top 20, um, and I think in like 11 out of his last 14 starts. So he's been right around the top 20. I like him at top 10. Uh, again, plus 1300 is a really, really good value. Uh, top five finish here. Um, I thought this guy would be a little bit more of a long shot, but he's been playing really, really well. Uh, he's had multiple top tens already this season. It's kind of been the last like year and a half of a comeback for this guy. Also a former champion here, Jason Day, the Australian, plus 500. Uh, I really like this for a top five finish. Again, it's a course that he's won on. You're going to have more confidence coming in here uh, and, and, and playing on a course that you've won a, a huge championship and a huge tournament in. Um, and Jason Day's been playing really well. He's got several top 10 finishes already this season and going back to the end of last season. Now, of course, the field here is more loaded than those tournaments. But at the same time, Jason Day has been on this kind of comeback trail. And, and we've seen him finish in the top five multiple times in the last couple of years, uh, and particularly in the last calendar year. So I like Jason Day at plus 500. Uh, Xander, Xander Shoffley is actually a longer odds than Jason Day, plus 550. Um, but Shoffley is one of those guys that just, always kind of pokes up, right? Um, he's had a couple of, uh, I think, second-place finishes already this year. Uh, he's made the cut, I think, every tournament he's played in so far this season. 
playing really solid golf. He's that guy who perpetually, when's he going to win a major? When's he going to win a major? Uh, and and people kind of get sick of betting on him. But I love Xander Shoffley this week, plus 550. And then a name that golf fans know, and um, we all want to see him do it again here because he did win this tournament, just like we were talking about with Jason Day. But Ricky Fowler, um, who fell as low as 158th in the world, and now we're looking at him. He's top 100 again. He's been playing really solid golf. I feel like in the first couple of days, like at Riviera, he was in the top 10 in the leaderboard there uh, after the first two days. Can Ricky Fowler string together some days here? Uh, now he's got a new swing coach. He needs like one of these big comeback performances. I don't think he's going to win, but at plus 1,000, I mean, that's a pre- it's pretty short odds for honesty for the way that he's, you know, play the way that he's played over the last couple of years it's pretty short like those odds should be longer if it was anyone named if it was player x instead of ricky fowler um it'd probably be like plus 2000 but it's ricky fowler he's a huge name in the golf world and he's won here before he's one of the most iconic shots going up against sergio garcia in uh, a playoff on 17 stuck it to about four feet taps in the birdie um, at, at 17 and, and won the players championship. I think that was back in 2015. So uh, I think I like Ricky. I, I, this is more of like a hope pick. Cause I, I really do like Ricky Fowler and I hope he has a good year this year. And so far the returns have been promising. So um, I'm rolling with Ricky Fowler top five and then to win. I have uh, two guys that I feel like both need like a win right now um, for different reasons. Um, I feel like I bet him to win everything, but Max Homa uh, right now, Max Homa, I think has the seventh, sixth or seventh best odds to win the tournament, which is crazy. He actually has better odds than the next guy on this list. who is a two-time major champ. Um, but Max Homa's played really, really, really fucking well this year. Um, and this is, this is a tournament where again, any type of player can win. Any type of player can, can go, can go out and, and, and find a way to win um, this tournament, but being able to hit it long is definitely an advantage. Um, and, and being able to uh, putt really, really well will be an advantage. And that's the thing with Max that we've seen is that when Max gets hot with the putter, he is lethal. Um, and he's been driving the ball so well. So it's like, can he can he stay in the fairway? Can he avoid the water? Can he use the driver as a weapon and then get hot with the putter? Plus 2,200. I like those odds. I, you know, if honestly for how well he's played so far this year, I feel like it could be even shorter odds than that. But plus 2,200. I like Max there. Uh, right behind him, I have Colin Morikawa. He is uh, gained, uh, his, his strokes gained is, it's ridiculous, right? I think it's been 11 straight tournaments now that he has gained strokes on everybody in the field based off of just his ball striking um, and his ability around the greens. He hasn't won a tournament um, since the British open or the open championship two years, a year and a half ago in 2021. Um, and he's kind of due, right. And, and the thing with Colin Morikawa, and we saw this in full swing, like he shows up for the big moments. He wants to win every tournament, but he shows up for big moments. And this is a big moment for him. He performed terribly last week after missing the cut at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So I think Morikawa winning this week is a pretty good bet. Plus, you're getting him at 2,500. I just also want to see it. I also like Colin for top five and top 10 as well. The odds obviously aren't as good, but um, I love Colin Morikawa there. And then I'm going to add one more here, and it's another guy we saw on full swing. 
second year on tour, Sahith Thagala. Um, he's a, he has all the makings of a superstar in golf. Like he he's aggressive, he's passionate. And this is the kind of tournament where like guys like that get a chance to kind of show, right? Like I feel like he has a really good chance to kind of show up and like, he needs to kind of make that mark. He's still looking for his first one, but because this is a gettable golf course and the final score is probably going to be somewhere in that minus 13 to minus 15 range. So he Thagala can turn it on for three or four days. Uh, and, and I think if he has a chance to kind of close out a tournament, this would be a really, really good one. A high pressure moment. Can he deliver, right? He had a high pressure moment in the waste management open as a rookie. Didn't come up, uh, came up a little short. Can he do that now? I think he can. And he's plus 8,000 to win. So honestly, part of the reason I'm picking Sahith is because of the odds. They're really, really good odds, but also, He's one of those guys that if he's as much of a superstar on tour as it looks like he can be, then we're just waiting for that moment for him to break through. And I think the Players' Championship, given the history of it, this is a tournament where players like that traditionally have broken through. And I think we're going to see Sahith, got, Sahith the guy, if nothing else, have a good performance. So I like him for top five and top ten uh, as well. All right. That's all we got on the pod today. My apologies on the uh, the misinf- not misinformation, but the delayed um, option. Um, and as we're closing out the pod here today, and this will be the topic of our conversation before, um, Daniel Jones and the Giants have reached agreement on a new four-year deal. Uh, no word yet as to how much that is going to be. Um, but whatever it is, we will talk about it. And um, it looks as though the Giants will be placing that franchise tag on running back Saquon Barkley. So Daniel Jones and Saquon both staying with the New York Giants, at least for now. Uh, but we'll get into all of that later on in the week. So thank you so much for listening. Chaotic episode, I know. But we appreciate y'all hanging with us. Have a wonderful week. We will talk to you guys on Friday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.